We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to another episode of Fielding the 68, Field of 68's Bracketology Show. We are powered by Bet Rivers. It's a Monday after maybe the craziest weekend of college basketball we can possibly remember. Buzzer beaters, crazy comebacks, wild coaching decisions. This weekend had it all. We're here to talk you through how it affected the bracket. I'm Jim Root, your host today, joined by Brad Wachtel and Andy Bottoms, two of the best bracketologists on the internet. They know the changes that happen. They know how it's going to affect everything. We're going to talk through it all here. And I'm going to start just straight up off this weekend, guys, Andy and Brad, both. Which team do you think made the biggest noise, whether it's, you know, a big win that gets them in the bracket or a huge win that helps their seeding? There's a whole lot of movement. Like I said, Brad, I'll go to you first. Which team really jumped out to you most as the biggest winner of this weekend? Yeah, for me, it was definitely Arizona State. Um, hitting the three-quarter court shot at the buzzer at Arizona was the type of win that they needed to really catapult themselves and really enhance their resumes. They, they were really missing a, a win like that. And, and that win does does wonders for you. I mean, it took them from my last four, my, my sorry, my first four out and brought them up to my last four in that we'll talk about later. Um, but it also brought them over 500 against Q1 opponents, as well as over 500 against Q1 plus Q2 opponents. Uh, so without a doubt, that was the biggest bubble win over the course of the weekend for me. Yeah, no bigger win than the one that takes you from out of the field than into the field. That is that is enormous. Andy, maybe he stole your answer. So uh, you can either go with the same one and hammer it home, or, or is there another team that really jumped out to you this weekend? Now that that probably would have been mine. I, I think of a team that was in the field and helped itself. It'd probably be Mississippi State beating Texas A&M. Just gives them another quality win uh, and a little bit of breathing room uh, as they move forward. And, and in terms of the teams that are on the outside trying to get closer, uh, North Carolina beating Virginia and and Michigan, uh, managed to hit a buzzer beater to force overtime and, and beating Wisconsin. Didn't get them in the field for me, but they're a whole lot closer than they were. Uh, than they were before uh, before the weekend happened. So uh, in a in a weekend when a lot of teams around that area of the bracket lost, uh, almost anybody who won kind of stood out by default uh, in, in comparison to what we saw from some of the others. And we, we found out that Texas A&M is mortal. That team has not lost much in the year of 2023. So to see them go down was uh, maybe a little surprising. All right, let's get into the bracket. We're going to start at the top as we do here. We're going to talk one seeds, see what changed if anything over the weekend i think there's one big important discussion to be had we're going to start we're just going to put our consensus one seeds up there i think we are all in agreement about who they are alabama houston kansas purdue all right we're going to we're, we're going to talk purdue as the last team here but before we do real quick andy this 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 doesn't have to be a belabored discussion but was there any thought or or maybe you had it this way uh, is kansas moving up that order are they close to passing houston and possibly even passing alabama how, how far up can the jayhawks get here as number one yeah it's it's a hard it's a hard one to answer um so i won't belabor it like you said but I, but i don't think it's an easy answer uh, if you look at where they were when the bracket reveal came out you had houston ahead of them and kansas was the fourth number one seed i think even before 
Purdue had lost uh, to IU this weekend, I had Kansas jumping over Purdue just based on their volume of wins. What becomes hard to figure out is what's the what do they have to clear in order to get past Houston? Houston obviously hasn't lost since the reveal, nor has Kansas. Uh, and at what point do the quality wins that Kansas has just let them overtake Houston? I didn't do it that way for now, but I would have no argument with somebody who did. And, and quite honestly, I think once you make that argument, then you put them up against Alabama. And I'm not so sure that you couldn't make a similar argument there. So um, I, I think it's pretty close between Houston and Kansas right now. Certainly, if they're able to to win at Texas over the weekend, I think that would probably be one that would would leapfrog them. Uh, but for now, you're, you're trying to hold true to what the committee showed us. But what they didn't show us was, is there a, a small gap or a, or a wide one? And if it was pretty small to begin with, then I would say Kansas probably already has leapfrogged them. If it was a little bit wider, it's it's certainly closer than it was before. That's the trick about knowing from the reveal. It's like, all right, how much do I carry this forward or how much do I let things change after it uh, with, with the new results we get? All right, Brad, I'll go to you for, for the big question. We'll, we'll get Andy's input on it too, because I think it's it's rather important at this stage. That fourth one seed, we, we've got Purdue on the line as our consensus. I think everybody still had them there uh, of our group of bracketologists, but man, UCLA is creeping up there. Two big road wins over the weekend. How close was it for you to having the Bruins pass Purdue for that last one seed spot? Right now, not yet. Um, I think what needs to happen for UCLA to pass Purdue, I think Purdue needs to lose again. And I think UCLA needs to beat Arizona State and Arizona uh, to end the season. I think then UCLA can leapfrog Purdue. Because um, right now, uh, Purdue is 4-2 and two against high Q1 opponents. Whereas UCLA is two and two, Purdue is better against Q1 opponents. Um, they have a plethora of wins that UCLA may not have. UCLA's best win is at Maryland by 30. The only team to win at Maryland, that win is looking better and better by the day. Um, but they don't necessarily have the, the upper echelon wins. Now, granted, Purdue doesn't have a top tier win either, aside from you know Gonzaga and Marquette are good wins. Um, but away from home on the road, they don't have that. So I think they are vulnerable. And I think there is the possibility if they lose again and UCLA wins out that UCLA overtakes them. Andy, do you see it similarly? And I'll add on, let you, you dig into this. Is there another team that is coming for that last one seed spot? Or do we see too many losses with Texas losing and, uh, Arizona losing? So is it kind of come down to those two for you? Uh, right now, it's down to those two, but I think Baylor and Texas are still pretty close uh, behind them at this point. I think there's a bit of a drop-off once you get past that. Uh, but in terms of Purdue and UCLA, I would agree with what Brad said. The, the other things I would add, you know, Purdue's better in the resume metrics, a little bit worse in the quality metrics uh, for what for what difference that makes. Purdue has, by my count, eight wins against teams in the, in the at-large field. Plus, they have a sweep of Penn State and a win at Michigan who are kind of who are in the mix just outside of that versus... UCLA is just four and four against, uh, you know, teams in the field that doesn't include their sweep of Oregon, who to me is a little bit further away from the, uh, from the cut line there. So while UCLA's road win at Maryland is better than any road win that, that Purdue has, uh, it gets really tough to evaluate because even though when you look at UCLA, they've got seven Q2 wins, well, five of those fall in the, the bottom part of, of Q2. So uh, not conference strength to schedule. They're right next to each other at 97 and 98. Purdue's road record is slightly road neutral record, slightly better at 11 and three versus 10 and four. So it wasn't as close as I thought it might be when I sat down to to do the exercise. But uh, I think if Purdue loses again, they've got at Wisconsin and then they host Illinois to close out the regular season. And UCLA wins both of its games against the Arizona schools, uh, albeit at home. Uh, you know, certainly the Arizona win would be another quality win. Give them a sweep over Arizona State, who's in the, uh, you know, last four in, first four out uh, area of the bracket at this point. So I think it could uh, could flip, but I think Purdue needs to lose at least one more and UCLA needs to just uh, just keep on winning. And then in terms of Baylor and Texas, it, to me, I had those right there. Uh, you can kind of take your pick as to which one of those you, you'd have ranked a bit higher. They have a lot of things in their resumes that are very, very similar uh, to one another, as you look at it that way, Baylor's schedule down the stretch is a little bit easier. They go to Oklahoma State and host Iowa State as opposed to 
uh, going to TCU and hosting Kansas, which is what uh, Texas has left. So those are the ones that are there. To me, I think Arizona's lost, put them out of the mix. And then you get down to like a Kansas State who's in that area that that just seems like a, a bridge too far for them to get that far up. So I think you're down to probably seven teams for the, the one seeds at this point in, in terms of real consideration. Makes sense. It, what, one last question on the one seeds before we move to bubble discussion, Brad, to you. Alabama still the number one overall seed, or is Houston coming? Is is can we know Kansas like like Andy said is starting to put something together, but Alabama still there for you right now? Alabama is still there for me, and as Andy mentioned, you know there's a clear case for Kansas to be that number one with 18 quad one and two wins and and 15 quad one wins. I mean the numbers are ridiculous, um, and in Houston's case, uh, I don't know if I see them passing uh, Alabama. Um, as long as Alabama continues on the same path. Um, but I will say if they lose, if Houston does lose a game to a, whether it's a non-tourney team um, or a team that maybe is on the on the fringe, uh, there's a possibility of, of them dropping to a two seed. Um, probably if they lose to a non-tourney team, that's more realistic. Okay, fair enough. All right, let's move on to the bubble discussion. Uh, UCLA, Purdue, definitely, certainly. Uh, in that battle for the final one seat, but they're both in position to make runs. And folks, if you want to prove that you know better than us who's going to make a run, you can head to Run Your Pool. Rob has actually worked with Run Your Pool before, which is why he was excited to land this sponsor. Uh, they have more than 50 game types for every sport you can think of, from traditional bracket pool to survivor games, head-to-head -head games, pick X games, and Rob's favorite, squares. Big square guy. Rob, especially as a better. He's a square. Uh, the scoring is customizable. You can tailor your bracket rules to your pool. It's awesome. Here's the best part. Run Your Pool is giving away $1,500 in cash prizes for free. That's right, free. You do not have to pay. Uh, just sign up at the link in the description. I won't read it out on here. It is in the description of this YouTube video uh, on Run Your Pool. Just fill out a bracket. Be eligible to win. We'll see you on March 12th. If you're watching this show, I think you know the significance of that date. So, uh, yeah, March 12th. Let's get to it. All right, bubble time, guys. The uh, the bubble will be decided on March 12th. A lot to happen in between then. But as we stand now, uh, we have a close to consensus last four in, but there is a little bit of disparity between everybody here uh, at Fielding the 68. So, Brad, I'm going to go to you first for your last four in. We'll talk through that, and uh, then we'll get Andy's and, and similar takes on the order. So, Brad, what do you got for us? Okay, so my last four in, first of all, uh, is Auburn. Um, I think they're a team that people actually have higher than than myself, but I think this team is dropping by the second. Um, they really got they got blown out uh, at Kentucky. That really screwed up their mes metrics a little bit more. Um, they are just two and eight against quad one opponents. They're under five hundred against quad one and two opponents, and they don't own any strong strong wins over the top you know top part of the bracket. Uh, so. I think, especially with the way their schedule sets up, they end the season at Alabama and home against Tennessee. There's a very realistic chance that, that they finish the regular season at 2-10 and 10 against Q1 opponents. Uh, you know, I don't think you need to be a bracketologist to realize that that's not good enough to get in the field. Um, then I have West Virginia, who just has a yucky resume. 5-11 um, in the Big 12, 0-10 against high Q1 teams. 4-12 against quad one teams, but they have really good metrics and no bad losses, and that's why they're in the field for now. But their final two games are at Iowa State and against Kansas State. You know, if they if they only split, is that good enough? Uh, can a 6-12 and 12 Big 12 team actually get into the field? There will be plenty of arguments made both ways. Uh, but their game at Iowa State tonight is huge. It's huge for both teams. Um, a win keeps them in the field, a loss, and somebody could be there to, to swipe their, their spot. Uh, then I have Arizona State, who joined the field after winning at Arizona. As I mentioned earlier, they're over 500. They're four and three against Q1 opponents, including two high Q1 wins, as well as nine and eight against Q1 and Q2 opponents. Um, now, the only thing with Arizona State, they finished the season at UCLA and at USC. For their case, if they win one of those two games, for me, they're in the field. If they lose both of those games, they end up going under 500 in all of these categories, 
And then you're in the bubble mix with, you know, obviously everybody else and you're hoping for some help. Uh, and then finally, my last team in still happens to be Wisconsin. We just can't get them off the bubble because they just keep rotating wins and losses, wins and losses, um, lost to Michigan in overtime. And they do have six quad one wins. And that's the reason why they're still in the field. Six and six, 10 and 11 quad one and two, which for a bubble team is, is decent. It really is. And they, and they have a 50, um, a top 50 strength of record. Um, they finished first Purdue and at Minnesota, uh, a win against Purdue to give them a seventh Q1 win. It'll be hard to leave them out of the field if that happens. Yeah, we're going to call them the Wisconsin last team ins, not not the Badgers anymore. They're just officially changing name. They're rebranding for the season. Uh, and then West Virginia seems very intent on testing the conference record doesn't matter and uh, anthem that sometimes the committee puts out there. We'll find out, find out if it matters. All right, Andy, we'll go to your last four in. I think we have plenty of similar teams, but uh, maybe maybe some unique thoughts on the order of it. Yeah, so for mine, uh, and for what it's worth, I did have Auburn as the, you know, kind of my, the team just outside of this that was that was safe. So I'm I'm with Brad in the sense that they're not as nearly as safe as they once were. Um, but uh, Boise State's the the team that I had that was uh, that Brad did not talk about. Uh, they have really good resume metrics, average out to a 32 there. Um, but realistically, at this point, they have a, a handful of good wins, but just not enough. Uh, true road wins to, to really feel safe uh, not enough good true road wins I guess I should say they're nine and six in road neutral games overall uh, but their best true road win was at UNLV so for them uh, the the season finale at Utah State takes on quite a bit of importance uh, they also host San Diego State so that can make them a little bit safer uh, but they've lost on the road at San Diego State at Nevada at New Mexico uh, so the other you know three best other teams in the in the Mountain West they've lost all those games as, as well as a few others including uh, losing at San Jose State which is a quad two loss but uh, realistically for them they've got two quad one wins right now uh, they beat Texas A&M on a neutral floor which is aged uh, really well and then everything else that's good on their resume they've done at home Utah State Nevada New Mexico uh, all at home so for them nothing really jumps out to say they shouldn't be in the field. They do have a pair of quad three losses, but nothing nothing overly jumps out to say they should be in it as well, other than the fact that they have a really high net at 29. Uh, and, and like I said, some good resume metrics in that regard. So I, I definitely would put them as safer than these other three teams. I think there is a there as you, as you look at them. Um, for me, they were closer to Auburn than they were to West Virginia. And, and if you had them on the 10 line, probably could make an argument to do so. Uh, I thought Brad stated the case, you know, for and against uh, the other three pretty well. You know, Arizona State, just to tack on one thing there, they're 10 and four road neutral games. So they've got a lot of uh, solid road wins, including obviously the one at Arizona, but also one at Oregon and at Colorado. Uh, so that helps their case as well. And just that volume of wins away from home and a Michigan win on a neutral floor that may become a little bit important for bubble purposes uh, helps them a bit there as well. But uh, with the games they've got left, certainly a chance to give themselves a little bit of breathing room or make things really interesting and make the Pac-12 tournament uh, incredibly important for them. And, uh, you know, just as Brad said about Auburn, to, to touch on them, you know, you look at their best wins, Arkansas, Northwestern on a neutral court in an absolute rock fight earlier in the season, uh, Mississippi State, Missouri, you know, just not a ton of wins against teams that are safely in the field. And while the metrics stack up pretty well, at a certain point, you look at who they've really beaten and it, it's just not, uh, not wildly impressive uh, for them. And they've, they've really struggled against almost all of the better teams that they've played, if you, if you look at it that way. So I think they're right in that mix and, and will you know, push further in that direction if they lose one or both of these last two games that they have. So fairly definitively or, or comfortably, we like, the, the fourth to last team in, but those last three spots are very, very up for grabs here. Uh, I think the the fourth team, either Auburn or Boise State that you referenced, would have to fall really uh, to not make it. So we'll see. And they both have games were... that could allow them to fall out, which yeah, is exactly. they're probably the two that have, you know, the, the, you know, the tougher combination of games that at least they could have based on their schedules. Yeah, so it won't be picking up bad losses, but it's going to be tough to get wins. And, and in that area, you just want to find wins. Uh, let's go to the consensus last four in here. 
Boise State, as we uh, mentioned earlier, West Virginia, Arizona State, and Oklahoma State actually really, really descending. They have lost four in a row and have the schedule to potentially lose six in a row. They've got a big one tonight against Baylor. Do not want to go into the postseason with that kind of a losing streak. We'll see if the Cowboys end up safe on Selection Sunday. Another Big 12 team really in the fight to try to get into the field. Uh, now we're going to go to first four out, Andy. So who's just on the other side of that spectrum, teams that couldn't quite catch Arizona State or Wisconsin for that last spot? Yeah, Oklahoma State was the first team out for me and the one I probably considered uh, the most of the teams that are listed here. Uh, five and 10 in Q1, including one and nine in the, the upper part of Q1. So similar issues to uh, to West Virginia. They have a quad three loss to South or Southern Illinois which came only by one point, but they have good quality metrics. The resume metrics average out to around 50th. Uh, but, you know, they got that sweep of Iowa State, which is great. Beat TCU in West Virginia at home and Texas Tech and one at uh, Oklahoma. So there's some things to like for sure. I think the overall record is uh, problematic as you as you have, uh, you know, you're only three games over 500. And overall, if you, if you look at them compared to a West Virginia who just ran them off the court uh, a week ago, you know, metric wise, uh, I think West Virginia is just a bit better. Uh, they're certainly on the quality metric side they are. And I think on the resume metrics, they, they are as well. So uh, that was kind of the delineation there. Charleston seems like we talk about it every week. They keep winning one handily. Uh, the CAA tournament is up next for them. So, you know, they, they benefit some when these other teams around them lose as much as anything. And, and I think need to make a run to the, at least, you know, to the CAA final to really have uh, a compelling case. Then you got North Carolina talk them to death uh, on this over in, in recent weeks. The win over Virginia obviously helped quite a bit, even though Virginia is uh, firmly headed in the wrong direction. Quad so one. They got one. <laughs> yeah, they did. They did temporarily, maybe, uh, based on the way that Virginia is going. But uh, yeah, so they're one and eight in quad one now, six and three in quad two. Uh, they don't have any bad losses. Now six and nine in, in road neutral games. Have a chance to get another road neutral game tonight uh, at Florida State. And their, you know, their best work has really come at home uh, with their, their three best wins, Virginia, NC State, and Charleston all coming at home. Did beat Ohio State and Michigan on neutral floors uh, and have a win over Clemson. So they have some wins that might help a little bit for bubble purposes, but that, that season finale against Duke looms large for them. And then Michigan just kind of hanging around as well. Uh, if you look at things the committee seemed to like, those wins at Rutgers and at Northwestern, uh, part of a sweep for them of Northwestern certainly helped their case. Uh, it, you know, for them at this point, the quality metrics are okay. They're just outside the top 40 resume metrics average right around 50. They're three and 10 in quad one games. Uh, so that's a theme with a lot of these teams. They've gotten a lot of opportunities and haven't done a whole lot with them. Uh, and they have that quad four loss to Central Michigan, which uh, no one thought would age well at the time and certainly has not aged well uh, since then. So they finish with two road games, though, at Illinois, at Indiana. Great chances for them to improve their resume. But if they lose both those games, uh, then they're in, in some serious trouble there. So good to have opportunities, uh, but uh, got to take advantage of those as they uh, as they look forward. Yeah, that's an earn your way in type of stretch. Uh, they've got the chance. We'll see. We'll see if they can get it done. All right, Brad, what about you for your last four? Or excuse me. First four teams out. Yeah. So first four teams out. First one is Oklahoma State. Um, who we discussed. Um, I think if they do beat Baylor tonight, uh, there's a good chance they go back into the field. Um, so we will match up with the consensus for me um, if that happens. Um, then I have Utah State, who is somewhat has a somewhat similar resume to Boise State, except for the fact that they have a Q4 loss. Um, big difference, but their metrics are really good. They're over 500 against Q1 and 2. Um, they finished the season uh, at UNLV and home against Boise State, need to win both of those games, and then ideally beat a top-tier team in the Mountain West Conference tournament. Um, I think if they can do that, then they put themselves with a legitimate shot to get in. Um, and then I've added Clemson. Uh, Clemson has a ridiculously wacky resume. Uh, they have not beaten any Q1, any high Q1 opponents, but they are 4-2 against Q1 opponents and seven and four against Q1 and two opponents. But they have four bad losses, including two quad fours, as well as losing at Louisville by double digits. 
obviously unacceptable. That, count, that counts extra, I think. That's yes, more than yes. one month. That's the but, quad But I will say this. Yeah. If, if you look at the history of since the quadrants came into play, there has never been a high major team that's been left out of the field that has been over 500 against Q1 opponents and over 500 against Q1 plus Q2 opponents. Now, the, the data is not, it's only about five years, but I'll just put it out there. Um, and I, but I think that they do need to win at Virginia. If they can win at Virginia, easier said than done. Although the way Virginia's played of late, you never know. Um, and the way Clemson manhandled NC State on the road, you know, we've seen crazier things. Uh, they will have a, they will have a real, real chance. Uh, and then finally, as Andy mentioned, Michigan, uh, they now own seven wins against the field for a bubble team. That's an excellent number finishing with at Indiana and at Illinois. For me, they have to win one. I think if winning one of those games puts them in play. Winning both of those games puts them in. Losing both of those games, they're probably done, um, unless they make a deep run in the tournament. Uh, so I, that's where I stand uh, with my uh, first four out. Yeah, Clemson, I mean, they did exactly what they needed to do. They got a, a road win, and it was by 1,000, which really boosted their metrics that had, had really fallen down. I think they were barely in the top 75 of the net. Now they're top 60, so impressive work by the Tigers there on the road. Let's go to our consensus. Uh, first four out, so, uh, showing the slight differences here. Of course, there's Wisconsin, the team that uh, is is out compared to Oklahoma State, who is in the consensus bracket. Utah State, North Carolina, Michigan. No Charleston there, unfortunately. Maybe the Cougars can can fight their way in with two more wins in the, the CAA tournament. Uh, Andy, I'll ask you, is there anybody else outside of your first four out that you felt really close to bumping up ahead of Michigan, somebody that you know was competing there, or is it kind of a clear foursome for you? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, I had Utah State and Clemson as uh, my next couple of teams. I put Penn State kind of loosely in that uh, in that grouping as well. Uh, they needed so, that one Sunday, right? Yeah, that was a absolute crusher. I, I stopped watching it uh, for a while. I was doing something else. They were up so much early. And then I looked at my phone and I checked the score. And I was like, what in the world is going on? And so, you know, got back in there and watched the end. Um Maybe that was just because when, as an IU guy, when IU was uh, playing in Happy Valley, once they got rolling, it was over and there was no turning back. So yeah. uh, I just assumed it would be, uh, you know, going the same way. You know, Clemson is such an odd, such an odd one to look at. You know, you throw in, Brad mentioned some of the things. Then you've got a non-conference strength of schedule of 342nd. Um, but they've got, you know, seven and seven road neutral games, which is, is solid. Uh, and, and a number of their best wins have been away from home in terms of NC state and Pitt uh, and Virginia tech to a, to a certain extent. Um, but man, they just strike me as a team. They'll go win at Virginia and then come back home and lose to Notre Dame. And then you just throw your hands up and you don't know, you don't know what to do with them uh, as well. And then Utah state right there as well. Another one really hard to get a handle on nine road neutral wins, high net, uh, you know, but they got 12 wins in Q3 and, um, you know, the loss to SMU falls in there. Just kind of, just kind of odd. Swept by San Diego State would be swept by Boise if they lose that game uh, at the end and then lost at Nevada at San Jose State. Just, you know, really when you look at it, one win against the team in the field. Now, if you expand that to at least teams you have projected as an automatic qualifier, you've got Oral Roberts and, and Bradley that they've beaten as well. 
But otherwise, you know, their best road win is at Colorado State, which barely falls inside of Q2. So just kind of odd there. You know, some of the metrics really like them, but tough for me to, you know, kind of bump them up there. But they'd been Utah State and Clemson would have been my fifth and sixth teams out. So yeah, the Utah State thing feels together there. Yeah, it feels like the easiest answer for the committee to give. Huh? Well, why didn't they get in? Like, boom, didn't have the wins. Like, it's it's kind of that plain and simple. So uh, something they're going to need to fill in down the stretch and into the Mountain West tournament might be very meaningful for them. It, you mentioned that Clemson needs to win at Virginia. Both of you kind of discussed that. Let's talk Virginia real quick because they are plummeting down every single statistical measure. They're out of the top 30 at Ken Palm. They were 14th like two weeks ago. Just abysmal performances. They're falling down the net. Like we said, might fall out of Q1 range for UNC's home win. How far can they drop, Brad, at this stage, uh, given what they have left and just how they've looked to the eye test over the last couple of weeks here? Yeah, I mean, obviously, when they were shown by the reveal, uh, the committee's reveal, you know, a couple of weeks ago, they were a three seed and seemed like they were a solid three seed. And maybe at the time, getting close to a two seed. Um, but the wheels have kind of come off for Virginia. And with two games left against Clemson and Louisville, both at home, you expect them to win both of those games. I think I think they could drop as low as a five seed, assuming they take care of business against these teams. Um, obviously, if they happen to lose one of these games, I could see them dropping to a six. I don't think I'd see them falling worse than a six. Um, there's just not enough teams playing well enough to to leapfrog them, uh, unfortunately. Uh, Andy, I'll, I'll ask you about Virginia. I also want to kind of in a similar vein, here's Iowa State, a team that has, I don't know if they've won since the reveal, uh, but it's been a really tough schedule. It's the Big 12. So uh, how far can they fall? And I'll, I'll let you comment on uh, what Brad said about Virginia, but I also want to hear about Iowa State too. It, yeah, with, with Virginia, I, I would say the same with Brad. I mean, obviously, you lose a home game to Louisville. All bets are off in terms of where you would fall. But I do think being able to win these two home games at least lets them right the ship a little bit. But the only thing that they've done since the committee revealed in terms of a win was a two-point home win against Notre Dame, which is nothing to write home about, and lose by 15 at Boston College uh, and lose by eight at North Carolina. So they're certainly trending in the wrong direction. The flip side is, at this point, even the way they sit now, the only the they only have one loss that falls outside of Q1. So that helps a bit. The resume metrics are still uh, strong. The quality metrics, uh, right, rightfully, not so much, which is maybe different than what we've become accustomed to with Virginia at this point uh, over the course of time. But, you know, still that Baylor win, uh, Illinois win on a neutral court bode well. Uh, so I think if they right the ship a little bit, win these two games, I think they should be fine. And probably would still settle in about that four range, maybe a five if somebody else passes them and, and you kind of figure out what they do uh, as, as you move forward into the uh, into the ACC tournament. Uh, you are correct in saying that Iowa State has not won since the reveal. They lost at Kansas State, lost at Texas, and then lost to Oklahoma. Uh, so they were, at the time, the number 11 team uh, on the seed list. I think you could see them at this point, certainly in the five line, Maybe you could make an argument to put them on the uh, on the six line uh, because right now they're eight and nine in Q1. So the eight wins is great, but they're only two and two in, in Q2. So you're just 10 uh, and 11 against the top two quadrants and you don't have any other losses. Um, but but if you add in quad three, they're 11 and 11. So uh, that becomes tricky uh, in terms of road wins, which we know the committee has talked about. They went at TCU and they've swept TCU on the season. That was really um, their, their main road win of note, but they've beaten Kansas, Texas, Baylor at home. And, uh, so I think that, that obviously helps. Um, but resume metrics are, you know, 29th in KPI, 27th strength of record, their, their quality metrics at average out to about 30th, uh, and they're two and eight in true road games. So there, there's certainly, uh, not a lot going their way as they head down the stretch here, uh, as they're, as they're doing that, it'd be pretty easy for teams to pass them by. Uh, at this point. So they, they have not responded well. The flip side is, you know, the big 12, every, every game is an opportunity to, uh, to get your resume better. And they, they host West Virginia tonight and then go to Baylor. So you get that West Virginia win, get yourself a little bit back on track uh, and a great road opportunity that would, if you could find a way to win it, check one of the boxes that is something that could be used against them. And you haven't really won a lot of true road games and things like that. So chances yep. to, to do that. But certainly if you look at their, uh, wins and losses over the 
you know, last month and a half, uh, it's not good. Correct. Uh, so we'll spin it around. We'll be a little more positive here. Those are teams that are kind of falling from that top 16 reveal. There's a couple that are rising up in there. Brad, how high is San Diego State for you right now? Because they have just kept winning quietly out in the Mountain West, not the most featured games, but they got a buzzer beater from Lamont Butler over the weekend. Are they up into a protected seed for you at four seed, or are they just lurking outside that? Where do you have the Aztecs? I don't have them as a protected seed yet. Um, I have them as a five seed. Um, they only own two wins over the field. Um, that's kind of the one flaw that's not good. Yeah. Uh, of, of their resume. Uh, but everything else, you know, all their metrics are extremely strong. You know, if they continue to win, win the Mountain West Conference Tournament, um, I think there's a chance they could get into that top four. It's going to depend on, you know, how other teams play and all that. Um, my guess is not likely. Um, I, I feel like five seed is probably their ceiling, um, especially if they don't get any more you know, quality wins over the field. Um, but they're, they're definitely rising. They've been steady all season long. Yep. They've got the at Boise one this week that could potentially help them out a little bit. Although if that knocks Boise out of the field, then you don't get a, a win over the field, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, th- theirs is odd because you almost they almost need some weird things to happen with seeding in the Mountain West tournament so that they could find a way to play both Boise and Nevada, who are the safest teams. That's not how it would shake out right now if I'm looking at the conference standings correctly, but that would probably help them as much as anything if they can continue to uh, run the table there. I, I think they're really good. I have them on the five line toward the top of the five line, but um, – as Brad said, you know they've they've largely beaten the teams they're supposed to beat, and I think missing out on some of those non-conference opportunities uh, against you know Arizona, understandable. Arkansas, uh, certainly the the way Arkansas was playing in in Maui was understandable, but lost to St. Mary's as well, and so um, just some of those chances to get those really good out of conference wins weren't there. Probably figured the Ohio State win would age a bit better than it has. Yeah. And, uh, and things like that, but they're I mean, incredibly good. I think a team that could give a four seed a lot of trouble if you get in there, but as you look at it, just a little bit hard to to justify at this point, giving them a four seed, but if they can win at Boise, that helps a ton. And if they can, you know, at least one of the wins they would get in the Mountain West tournament would be against over a team that's at least in or very near the tournament. All right, I'm going to do one more team that I, I think we need to discuss. I'm going to take some chat questions. So folks, if you have some questions in the chat, we're going to have Dagan, Big D, I believe, as the chat is calling him today. He's going to marshal all the questions and get them set up for us. So uh, we'll hit that after we discuss one more squad. And, Andy, you said we, we've kind of, you know, beat the North Carolina horse to death in the uh, uh, bubble discussion. Well, we were doing the same with Kentucky for a while at the start of this show. But now they have elevated far above that, uh, really, really rising through the field. I look at their metrics. I mean, the bad losses still, Brad, are, are not – awesome there's a couple outside of q1 q2 but they're up to five q1 wins they have no losses in q2 how much has has big blue nation risen for you up the field yeah i mean they've they went from you know maybe three weeks ago they were out of my bracket um and now all of a sudden for me they're my top seven seed um with room to grow um i think they could go grow as high as probably a five seed um, the issue, I don't see them going any higher than that, is because of that Q4 loss that they have. You know, you, you can't just cancel that out. But their resume has improved so much over the course of the last couple of weeks, uh, winning at Tennessee, um, just beating teams that are tournament teams. Uh, and they they already had good metrics. So now they got the wins. So they're, they're a lot to be in the NCAA tournament. Um, and like I said, they have the opportunity to, uh, to, to improve that seed um, of being a top seven seed in the tourney for me. Andy, Kentucky, you, you, you buying them uh, as, I, I, like you said, you're buying San Diego state as a team in general. Are you buying Kentucky and this rise that they're going through up the seed line? Oh, we've got you muted. We got you muted. All right. There we go. Uh, yeah. So the, uh, you know, for them, the quality metrics have always been pretty good. Uh, and it was just a matter of, and the resume metrics weren't bad by virtue of the win at Tennessee, but what they've done since then is really bolster bolster that. And we talked about them a little bit before we started the show. Like it, at, at the time, a couple of weeks ago, the win at Tennessee felt like the outlier. And what they've done in recent games suggests that it no longer is. And that's winning that game was reflective of uh, the kind of team that Kentucky is. And so uh, what you've seen them do over the last 
you know, a couple of weeks beating Mississippi State on the road, who's uh, worked their way into the tournament, even winning out a Florida team that's going in the wrong direction, but still a solid win for uh, tournament purposes. And then just running Auburn off the floor uh, over the weekend really has bolstered them from a resume standpoint so that or from a metric standpoint, all five of the team sheet metrics are 22 or better uh, as you look at them now. So there's really, as Brad said, you've got the Q3 and the Q4 loss that are the uh, the holes in their resume, but those now look like more the outlier than the Tennessee, the win at Tennessee did. And, um, you know, with the the season finale at Arkansas, that's another chance to uh, to bolster their resume even further if they go into that. They're 11 and 7 in, in Q1 and 2 uh, right now. So um, that sweep of Tennessee looms large. The Texas A&M win uh, is a good one. And, and so they've got some other wins against teams in the field that they simply didn't have before. And they've been helped by the fact that Texas A&M has played better and that win looks a lot better. And Mississippi State has played better and uh, being able to beat them is now more meaningful than it was uh, before. So the way that other teams have played in the SEC has helped them uh, a lot, but mostly it's just been how well they've played on the floor. Yeah, I think they had the the rare 2Q1 win day when uh, they beat Tennessee and Texas A&M moved into Q1 territory. So they woke up with two more than they had had the night before. It was, it's kind of a a fun spin for a team that is in the field here. All right, Dagan, let's go to you here for a couple of chat questions. I know it's been a very active chat today, so hopefully yes. you're able to sort through and, and find a few for us. Uh, it has been. Uh, if Chad, if you guys asked your, your question on the way back at the beginning of the show, I'm going to need you to re-ask it because it's gone. So <laughs> just re-ask it, and I'll, I'll try to get to it if I can. Um, but we'll start here. Alan wants to know, what does Marquette need to have happen in front of them? In the, to get to the two line, obviously they, they finished with App Butler and St. John's, so those probably aren't moving the needle uh, that much. Yeah, so chasing those Big Twelve teams, chasing Arizona. What what do you think they need, Brad? So I think Arizona they, they need Arizona to lose another game, um, and obviously Marquette needs to to keep winning. Uh, Baylor is another team who is probably for me. They're Arizona and Baylor, are my two teams that are the third and fourth number two seed. Um, it's going to be hard because I think. Right now, I still have Kansas State ahead of Marquette. Um, Tennessee is right there, uh, but keep winning, keep winning. And if if you know if if uh, Arizona and Baylor, um, it's it's very possible, especially Baylor. I mean, it's possible they lose a couple of games. They play in the Big Twelve. Uh, there's that. There is that room. I will say it's probably not likely Marquette reaches the two line, um, but I also won't say it's not you know out of the question. Yeah, but might Andy might they need the the double of winning regular season and and tournament to get that too? Yeah, the challenge is that then brings into question how much the committee is looking at the the tournament results at that point. True. And so yeah, I'm, I'm with Brad. I, I've got Kansas State above them, Arizona above them. I think I might have had them right above Tennessee or really close to Tennessee at the very least. So you need you need Arizona to lose, which road trip to the you know USC and UCLA is a possibility. Uh, Kansas State, though, they host Oklahoma. I forget who they have as the finale, but um, so you need to leapfrog those. And then you're going to be the number one seed in the Big East tournament. So you, you got to, you know, your first game is not going to help you. Really, the semifinal game is the first one that can really do a whole lot for you other than hurt you uh, at that point. So I don't think it's completely out of the question, but I do think they probably need a lot of things to fall in their favor with uh, the handful of teams in front of them. And that's the problem with the Big East too, as well this season. It's you know the bottom half of that league is you know when you beat them, it's not helping you much. Yeah, it's not like the Big Twelve where every win is Q one, Q two. It's right. it's very very wide disparity there. All right, what else we got, Dagan? Um, is New Mexico officially dead? Can they still make it without net large? It's probably tough. Um, Andy, what do you think? They, to me, they're kind of like a worse version of the Clemson profile, where they've got all the bad losses. They're above five hundred against the top two quadrants, but I don't. Like they have to be behind Clemson in that regard. So can they get there? Yeah, I think to me, you got to hope the committee puts a lot of uh, weight behind the Jalen House injury and him missing a couple of those games. Now, the problem is they lost other quote unquote bad games with him. And those St. Mary's and San Diego State road wins are great and are probably better than some of the road wins that other than almost any other bubble team is going to have around them. It's just the volume of losses and losses to non tournament teams has added up to a point where it just becomes really hard to uh, really hard to see them, you know, getting over it. That was just a huge missed opportunity against San Diego state. I don't know that I've ever seen a more casual buzzer, buzzer beater, both in terms of the guy bringing the ball off the court and the defense being played on him. It was 
it was a, it was odd to say the least. But uh, yeah, I think they've just at this point have taken on a lot of water. There's really none of the metrics that really really jump out uh, to help you know push them over the top. And uh, I think they got a, a long ways to go. Yeah, lost six of last seven. I, I've played pickup games where next bucket wins is a lot more intense and physical than that final <laughs> possession was. It was it was bizarre. Um, all right, Dagan, what else we got? We'll, uh, we'll get one for Brad here. Yeah, an interesting one here um, from Dave. Who's the longest shot that still has a realistic chance at an at-large bid? Oh, boy. Um, that one makes see, me looking, <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking down the list like – I, a lot a of the very, mid-major teams probably can't get question. there, right? Yeah, the mid-major teams don't have the chances. So uh, who are you leaning towards, Brad? Ooh. I would say, man, I would probably I'm really glad you gave this question to Brad, so appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I was going to try to, to vamp for a little bit so he could kind of sort it out. Like, I, I, don't actually, know, the team that we, I would say the team that we just talked about, to be honest with you, New Mexico. Um, I was I was actually a little higher on them uh, before. I mean, last week, uh, because of those injuries, it comes down to what the committee thinks of that injury. Um, now, the committee also seemed to place something on recency bias in terms of the the top sixteen reveal, where if you're not playing well of late, they'll take that into account, even though they're not supposed to. Um, but if you take Jalen House, the games, those two games they lost without him. One was the Q4 against Wyoming, um, and another one was at Air Force, I believe. Both of them bad losses. It completely changes their entire resume. Now, if this happened to a high major team, a team that was maybe like an Indiana type that everybody was talking about, would it be any different? I think if you're in New Mexico, you have to think that. Can I submit one to you, Andy, for consideration that it is definitely a long shot? Uh, Villanova, they're now 15 and 14. If they were to get to 17 and 14 in the regular season, and that is another one where you can point to the stark divide of look at what we are with Justin Moore versus what we are without. Is there any chance for the Wildcats or, or am I kind of barking up the wrong tree here? Uh, I mean, I, I won't say there's no chance because that would, you know, getting to that point suggests they went at Seton Hall and then beat UConn. And at that point there, I know the last you know handful of games don't matter, but they'd be seven and one over the last eight at that point heading into the uh, into the Big East tournament. They would definitely still need to uh, to to do some work there. But I do think the Justin Moore injury probably more than most, especially because he wasn't in and out of the lineup at different points. I mean, you you can look at what he did. Now the problem is they lost the first three games that he came back. Now you probably chalk that up a little bit to to rust and those games were to good teams, you know, to Providence and then losing on the road at Creighton and at Marquette. There's nothing wrong with those. It's just, you have a pretty small sample size of them with him at that point. So it yep. would be really good. Uh, it would be a really good small sample size, but um, I think you'd have to do some things in the Big East tournament to continue to back that up. But it's a, it's an interesting one that the, you know, the other couple that I would throw out potentially would be, you know, Texas tech. Again, they go to Kansas. If they win that game, I think they've got a, a winnable, uh, home game to close things out that gets them to 18 and 13 at that point problem with them is they did absolutely nothing in the non-conference and didn't try to do anything in the non-conference from a scheduling yeah. standpoint so <laughs> uh, that becomes a little bit tricky Oregon maybe is another one uh, they just you know, lack wins to a certain extent but they've got they host the uh, they host Cal and Stanford this weekend that gets them to 18 and 13 not really in anybody's last you know, first, first four out at this point, the quality metrics are decent. Um, four quad one wins, nine wins in the top two quadrants. M maybe they, they get there with a PAC 12 tournament run. Uh, so they might be another one that I would throw out just that we haven't, uh, that we haven't discussed yet. I think anybody else gets pretty, you're pretty far down the list at that point, but the Villanova one is interesting um, for sure. Yeah, the, the chat's annoyed that I, I think I've brought them up on like two other shows on Fielding hey, 68. You got to play so the hits, just... Jim. You got to <laughs> exactly. yeah. right. stay right. on brand. You're it, fine. It, it's okay, Jim, because my next question was going to be about Villanova. So you stole, you stole my question. So they can be mad at you instead of me. <laughs> um, Perfect. We'll take that. Uh, this one from Adam. How do you guys evaluate a team like Missouri, who has a solid resume, but predictive metrics are up in the 50s, 60s? Yeah, man, I, I'm I'm very interested here. I'll I'll sit and and listen as a Mizzou grad. Uh, Brad, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's it's a balancing act. You you take the good and the bad. Obviously, their strength and record 
is top 20 in the country, but their predictive metrics are, you know, in the 60s. Um, it, it's insane. Uh, they've had some, they've had a, some blowout wins um, that have really, it's been a lot of blowout wins in college basketball this season, more so than I can even remember. Um, that really has kind of thrown, thrown metrics as a whole out of whack. Um, they're five and eight against Q1 and they're over 500 against Q1 and two, and they don't have any bad losses. So I think you look at that, um, you don't push away the metrics. They're still there, but I think that in itself is very, very solid for a team where I had as a, as a nine seed, um, as of today, um, I definitely see them somewhere ending up between that eight and 10 range when it's all said and done, probably closer to the 10 range, just because of the predictive metrics. Um, and if it's close, I think the committee will lean on that just a little bit. Um, and they might be seated lower than, you know, anticipated. All right. What else, Dagan? Let's go to the next one. Um, Pat wants to know, uh, we kind of talked about Michigan already, but we'll kind of talk about it a little bit, a little bit more here with this question. If they make a run in the big 10 tournament, but don't win the big 10 tournament, what are their chances of getting in? I would say, I would assume probably pretty high. I think it it depends a little bit on what they do in these next couple games. I think if they split the next two games at Illinois and at IU and then make a run, I think they'd feel pretty good, um, but not win it. I think if they lose both those games, it puts a lot of pressure on them to make it probably a minimum to the semifinals. Um, but that's just kind of eyeballing it without knowing what other people around them would do. But that's generally where I would, would put it. And I, I forget who tweeted it recently. Somebody said, but it, I think – the committee has reacted a little less to tourney runs and, and kind of like moving seed lines because of tourney wins than maybe we've expected partially because, all right, if something changes on Saturday night, how much do they want to totally alter a bracket that's been maybe not set in stone yet, but uh, they're trying to avoid contingencies and all that stuff. So uh, I don't know if those, the runs in the postseason don't always mean as much as we want them to, I guess. Yes. Yeah, it seems like whatever you do, do it by Friday evening. Yes, indeed. <laughs> All right, Dagan, what else we got? Maybe, maybe uh, we'll, two or three more. I would say let's let's do one here that's not really about a team, but more or less how you guys put together your brackets. Trey wants to know uh, how often do you guys do like a full scrub of the of the bracket, and how long does that usually take take you guys? Ooh, that's a good question. Rather than adjusting like what you had from the previous one, uh, Brad, I'll go to you first. Your process on that? Yeah, it depends which part of the season. Um, as we get closer, I do it pretty much every single day. I don't post it every day but I like to keep stay updated on teams movements on a daily basis. It takes me approximately three to four hours to go through everything. Um, whether it's, you know, over the last couple of years, I've had, I have finally have an easier process of getting that information online and getting it into my, you know, Excel document where I could really analyze everything, um, which is very helpful. But other than that, it's just a matter of just looking at, every single resume comparing team by team by team who's is better who's is worse and are there any you know circumstances that aren't shown on the resume page like injuries um anything like that that might change um where a team is seated so you have to stay updated um with the with the going ons in the in the college basketball world you have to know what's going on you can't just look at numbers um that's not good enough um but but yeah i put in a i put in a lot of work into it um but it's enjoy it, it's very very uh joyful labor of love for sure andy what about you yeah I, I think this time of year you probably do it a little bit more often um you know i'm i've been putting out you know, full brackets once a week for i don't know maybe since early early january so you kind of have to do it as part of that process um and then you know we're submitting seedless for this a couple times a week so i'm at least doing it at that period of time. And I think one of the things about championship week next week, at least at the beginning is it gives you a little bit more time. Cause you're really only looking at the automatic qualifiers to go back and do a little bit of that because you just, you miss stuff sometimes or, um, you know, teams can, we talked about Kentucky earlier. They can team gets hot. They can rapidly ascend. And, and again, some of the wins that they had before that you kind of shrugged your shoulders at look a lot better now than they did before. So I think if you're, I think you kind of have to do it a, a little bit more. And I think doing it, the more frequently that you do it, the more you may find some kind of outlier that you missed another time or um, something else that you want to dig a little bit more into. So I tend to do that quite a bit at the beginning of championship week, just because there's not as many other games that matter. You're largely just swapping in uh, teams from, you know, one bid leagues 
for the most part during that stretch. So it gives a good opportunity where stuff's not changing quite as much to actually sit down and, and look at it a little bit more. All right, Dig, how about one more? And then we'll go through some of the games to watch this week uh, ahead that we're, we're looking ahead to. So what do you got for us? Yeah, last one. Uh, where do you guys think NC State? Well, we'll see where they end up, end up with. Oh, man. Sounds like more 8-9 company from Amazoo Tigers there, or potentially a little lower. What about you, Brad? Where do you have them? Yeah, not after what happened this past weekend. Um, <laughs> losing at home by 30 really screwed up their metrics. And you start really looking at their resume and thinking, eh, it's, it's not that great. Um, they don't have any bad losses. That's a that's a good thing. Um, but they only have two wins over the field, two and five against Q1, seven and eight against Q1 and two. They're they're a 10 seed for me right now. And I think that's where they'll end up. I could see them being a 10 seed. But if they slip up a little bit more, suddenly you have a chance to be in Dayton. Yeah, don't take a bad loss. That's that's the big thing. Andy, where do you have them? I have them as a 10 as well. The resume metrics are pretty solid. They average their one, they're 36 in KPI, 37th in strength of record. So right around that point where they'd be, if you seated just based on that, you'd be in that nine to 10 range. Uh, but as Brad said, when you really look, they beat Duke, Miami, North Carolina at home are the three best. They do the best road wins at Virginia Tech and at Wake Forest, neither of them is in the at-large picture at this point. Um, so that becomes a little bit difficult to, to push them too far up the list if you believe the committee is looking for a ton of those uh, those type wins. And their only game left is uh, is Tuesday at Duke. So if they were able to win that one, uh, that one would be big. Obviously, losing that game doesn't doesn't kill you. Um, but even when you look at their you know quad one and two record, you know, seven and eight. But if you look at quad one plus the top half of quad two, they're only five and seven um, and ten wins in quad four of uh, their wins. So that doesn't really uh, those aren't doing anything for you at that point. So uh, it, they're safe-ish, um, but I think even losing by less to Clemson in that stage, you're probably breathing a little easier uh, with the hit that gave some of their metrics. And and that's one of those things as you go through and do the scrub, like losing a game like that makes you really go back and take a second look like, okay, is this team really what I thought they were? And then you, and it's one of those examples, you go back, you're like, you know what? Realistically, they haven't beat that many tournament caliber teams and they haven't beat any tournament caliber teams on the road. Um, so it, it's one of those things that may make you take a second look at stuff like I was talking about a minute ago. That makes sense. Uh, all right, let's let's get to some games to watch this week, um, Monday through Thursday, really, because we will have another episode, of course, at 5 p.m. Eastern on Friday, talking through the results of that and looking ahead to the weekend. Andy, I'll start with you. Which game or games do you think are most pivotal coming up over the next few days here? Yeah, we can kind of bounce this back and forth, so I don't I don't take them all. But uh, you know, tonight there's not too many games, but they're all the the you know three that jotted down have bubble importance. You got Baylor at Oklahoma State, really important for the Cowboys. West Virginia at Iowa State, incredibly important for the Mountaineers, and then North Carolina at Florida State, where uh, Carolina can't doesn't doesn't help you to win, but uh, would really be crushing to lose on the heels of uh, of of beating Virginia. So there's a few that have bubble ramifications for for tonight at least so uh i'll let brad throw out a few as well so i don't uh, monopolize this part of the uh the conversation we got yeah, for, us, so brad. for me i'll go to since you covered monday for for tuesday obviously we touched touched on clemson at virginia a win for clemson really changes a lot for them um probably a must win though uh San Diego State at Boise State is another game, I think, for Boise State. If they can get that win, they should be in the field. Um, won't call them a lock, but they should be because that's a that would be a high-quality win. Um, and then another game where if you lose it, you have problems, and that's South Carolina at Mississippi State. Um, and we say, like, oh, that's not going to happen. But how many times have we seen – I mean, South Carolina already won at, won at Kentucky – so a Mississippi State Q4 loss now would be a disaster for their resume. Yep, indeed. Wednesday, there's plenty more. I mean, it's it, it, it heats up this week. I mean, every everything yeah, is lots uh, of bubble games on on Wednesday and Thursday. Yep, sure. Utah State's at UNLV. Need to win that one. Penn State at Northwestern, Auburn, Alabama. That's that's less bubble, I guess. Auburn's slipping might, out. Closer. Might be for Auburn if they get they get beat like they did on Saturday. It, it will become a bubble game for Auburn quickly. Very true. And and as you know, Brad had them as last four in. So it, it is not uh, a totally safe space for the Tigers right now. Um, Michigan at, at Illinois on Thursday. That's a big one. We talked kind of over and over about how big these last two road games are for Michigan. 
you know, Wisconsin hosting Purdue, big for the one seed discussion and for the bubble discussion on both sides of that. Arizona State at UCLA. And Sun Devils trying to lock that up. Two road wins in a row against teams in the top two seed lines, I think, would, would do uh, two big wonders for them. Uh, Andy, Brad, any final thoughts, or should we sign off and let the people watch their Monday night hoops? Absolutely. I think that's it. A lot of good uh, discussion. Enjoy being on here with you guys as always. Fantastic. Same here. It should be a, a great week, and the bubble has really gotten closer over the course of the last week. I think it's going to make for an exciting week of basketball. Tip of the cap to the chat. Well done today. Great performance out of you. Thank you to Bet Rivers. Thank you to Run Your Pool for uh, sponsoring the Field of 68, for Jim Root, for Andy Bottoms, Brad Wachtel. Thank you, everybody, and enjoy your week. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.